Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Should we just start by saying, Peter, my mom told me not to tell you this, but she thought I was too mean to you last week. I didn't think you were mean to me at all. That's, I was like, I think he was just I very mean, tired. But yeah, I, it was funny. My I, mom was I, like, I, don't tell Peter, but I need you to be I, nicer to him. I'm an aficionado of you being mean to me. <laughs> that was not particularly mean. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette Recaps, His Dark Materials with Peter Sick. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And we are here in real life with Peter yes, Segal. I miss my airport lounge now. I have, an, annou- I have an announcement. Oh, okay. So somebody <laughs> tweeted at us uh, collectively about how much they cannot stand this podcast because all we do is harsh on this television. Did you show. love this episode? Yeah, well, hang on. That's <laughs> not the announcement. And, <laughs> I was really hoping and I said, announcement. I said to myself, this guy, I think it's a guy, is right. He's correct because this is a podcast for people who are watching and presumably enjoying this television show. So th- why in the world should we ask him to listen to somebody, namely me, constantly harsh on it? <laughs> so the announcement is today I will only say positive things. Wow. That is my, that is my pledge. And he was silent for the rest of the Do episode. you believe him? Yeah. I'm, I, I'm tra- I think, can you do that? I'm, I think good-natured whinging is a part of what we do here, sir, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, but I, I, I'm just going to as an experiment. I'm okay. only going to say positive things. Do you want us to like pull up a buzzer sound or something when you're getting a little? It, yeah, I'm sure Justin windy? has one at hand. Justin, but I do will, you have some will, kind of wind? I'm going to do my best. The patriarchy speaking, <laughs> so ladies be quiet. Peter Segel is the worst. Maybe if we just really edit good. that so that it's just Peter Segel is the worst, it'll work. Yeah, what the remix. Peter Segel is, Peter Segel is, Peter Segel is the worst. The, the patriarchy jingle remix. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so today we're recapping episode or season one, episode five of His Dark Materials. It was called The Lost Boy. Who do you guys think The Lost Boy is? Well, we know The Lost Boy, right? Wasn't he identified as, as Billy Costa? Well, is it Billy Costa or is it Will? I feel like Will's kind of lost, too. He's dealing with some weird stuff. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it's Billy Costa okay. because, as I remember— He was literally lost. —the chapter title— in which oh. this event happens is the lost boy. Well and done. of course, as I'm sure you're about to explain, Will Parry does not show up in the first book. They are leaping ahead. They are leaping ahead. Should we, let's start with this opening narration because I think it was pretty important. And it was we'll, a little interesting. We'll go from there. A little interesting? Is that That's your version positive. of not complaining? That's positive. <laughs> okay, see I didn't say it was unnecessary and <laughs> disruptive. I'm saying it was a little interesting. Well, let's listen to it. Which is here the immortal whispers of those who pass between the worlds. They speak of a child who is destined to bring the end of destiny. If told what she must do, she will fail, but she won't walk alone. There is a boy whose fate is bound with hers. Together, they will change everything. So, Peter, what's your positive comment about this moment before the opening credits? Um, <laughs> Should we move the on? The voice was resonant. <laughs> the, it, whoever they hired to do the narration had a lovely narration voice. It was Serafina Pekula's demon. It right? was. Who was doing the narration. Oh, well, that's an interesting yeah, idea. So they're flying overhead <laughs> and then 
Kaiser, I believe the bird's Kaiser. name. I, I don't Kaiser? think asking a question. But it would sound like Kaiser. <laughs> I don't think asking a question is necessarily a criticism. So let me ask you a question. Oh, okay, great. Why do you feel that all of a sudden, five episodes in, we need a narrator? Well, it's not like the whole episode was narrated. No, it was but, just that one little bit. But it rem- remember, again, I uh, make Game of Thrones comparisons. Remember that weird thing that they did right before, I think, the penultimate or maybe the last episode of Game of Thrones, where they had that weird um, montage oh, yeah. for, oh, uh, uh-huh. for, you know... Danny's uh, Gone Danny, Crazy montage? Yeah. Gone, and, and we were like, well, that's weird. They've never done that before. It's almost as if they feel they need to really... Like they had to go back into it and justify something they're about to do. So they've never had narration before. They've never started an episode like this. I mean, the very first episode yeah, starts with just a bunch of sort of scene setting text on screen. Yes, yeah. which is different. Which is, now they they could have just it's done similar. that, yeah. too, yeah. if they, they wanted and to. And narration is a, is, a, is a choice that yeah. people make. It's like Narration narrate. is a choice that people make. I know. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm walking the line. <laughs> and so was it possible that they said, we want to introduce Will Parry uh, now, as opposed to in season two, where he appears in book two. So we need to let the audience know why we are going to spend almost half this episode with a young man you've never seen before. Yes. Yes. Because we knew that Lyra had a destiny. Right. You know, that had been addressed before, but we didn't know like the whole thing about like there's a boy whose fate is bound with hers and together they'll change everything. Right. That was something new. And I I don't know if it was enough to convince people who hadn't read the books to care about this new storyline. Yes. But I think that was the intention anyway. That would be my guess. My theory is, yeah, that it was basically that and that they wanted to let us know from the start, again, thinking about this being for young audiences, that this is a protagonist. This is your other new hero, mm-hmm. as opposed to the only other per- the only person we've seen aware of or in that our London, our Oxford, is Boreal, who's a villain, who's a creepo. So I think wanting to make sure maybe that we didn't confuse Will Perry as having some connection to just Boreal's storyline, you know, like to let us know, like, don't worry. He's a good guy, and he's yeah. going to be important to Lyra, who you already care about. It was a little a little heavy-handed, maybe, and unnecessary. But for younger audiences, prophecy recitation from a bird, okay. okay. I was pretty excited about it, frankly. Well, I'm very glad to hear that you were very excited about it because <laughs> you are a friend and I want you to be happy. Wow, this is really fascinating. I feel so weird right now. So uh, also before the opening credits, we learned that Lee has bunions. Yes. <laughs> Just thought I would bring that one up. Yes. Boy, he was very charming, wasn't he, throughout this episode? <laughs> Why, I'm so glad they spent all of his time being charming rather than having him actually do anything because that would have gotten in the way of his charm. is the worst. I'm so glad that you decided to do this. To be very positive. Very positive. It's really outstanding. It's so good. Should we listen to a truly positive voicemail? Maybe that'll help. Yes. Get, Get things in the mood. Hi Greta, hi Trisha, hi Peter. This is Agnes calling from Boston South Station where I'm about to make my own snowy journey, although in this case it's south rather than north. Peter, I hope you got some rest and were able to enjoy this episode more than last week because I thought it was great. (laughs) Um, I love the way that they're introducing the story of Will at the same time as that of Lyra because I feel like we can get attached to both characters at the same time. And um, I think the actress who plays 
Will's mom, Elaine, is just fantastic. If you've seen the BBC comedy W1A or um, Good Omens, she was really great in both of those. Um, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and have a great podcast. I will agree podcast. that that actress was terrific. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she really, the traumatized, slightly crazy character who's still dealing with a loss is a bit of a cliche, but she was so good at being somebody who clearly had only one foot in reality at this point that I didn't mind it. She was great. Peter, have you gotten to The Subtle Knife yet, to book two? Uh, well, I have not. In my reread, no. I read no. the whole okay. thing many years ago. Because, yeah, I'm trying to remember if the mother in the books had some, like, mental illness that was also, which I guess they kind of hint at with, like, asking her if she's taken her, her meds, meds yeah. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that seemed starker to me in the books than it did in the show. But I guess they did a pretty good job of, you know, like, her showing up at the school like that yeah. and him having to deal with it. Yeah, I thought she did a great job of reading as a very loving mother, but who they have a co-caretaker kind of relationship in some way, right? You know, mm-hmm. the, yes. he's making the omelet, you know, she's, uh, you know, clearly, you know, keeping the house together in some ways, but he's caring for her. And that that kind of relationship to establish that that quickly in, you yeah. know, what, 20, yes. 20 minutes, maybe total tops of being in Will Perry's world. Mm-hmm. Um, and to feel like I came out of that feeling like I really understood that this kid has had a, a, a tough life in that he is caring for a parent. Can you guys explain to me why he was bullied? They set him up as like, again, another bit of a trope, the the bullied kid. Yeah. Who's Somebody calls like him Har- a freak. Yeah. yeah. Like Harry Potter, who's going to end up having a big destiny. Ha ha, bullies. Um <laughs> But why is he bullied? I don't understand what the other kids... Because his mom's crazy. Because his mom's crazy. And she shows up places being really paranoid about stuff that's not real. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't like, that enough of reason? I've, like, I mean, I was really... bullied for wearing like velvet stretch pants in sixth grade. It doesn't take a lot, you know? <laughs> what, what did they say to you? <laughs> they just thought my pants were dumb. I love you. Them. Have dumb pants, Greta. Yeah, that's really yeah. what the nature of the that mean. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and, man. and fickle. Yeah, twelve-year-old girls. <laughs> that's a common trope, as yeah. I've said yeah. a couple times. Yeah. Bullied kid who ends up being the hero. Yeah, so far he seems pretty nonchalant. And he's got a good right hook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we did skip a scene before Will comes into the picture, which is when Lyra. They're still heading north, and Lyra. John Fa asks Lyra to get some hot tips from the alethiometer about yes. what's going to happen next. And she finds out about kind of who's guarding Bullvanger. And then she learns about the city of ghosts that she can't quite figure out what that means. Do I know what Tartars are <clears throat> as you know, a TV viewer? I can't remember if I just missed something or... It's just antiquated language for like those people who live up in the north and are mercenaries, right? Yeah, the okay. Tartars, I mean, the, like a lot of words in geographical words in, and I guess, you know, Words like this, describing people and places. They're words from our world, but they're sort of strangely twisted. So Tartar was a people. I don't know. Who, I think I want to say Slavs were known yeah, as Tartars back in the day. Yeah, I was going to guess some sort of like. Uh, the Russians, the, yeah, the Russian. ancient Russians. Some sort of Ish. army for hire. Yeah, but yeah. now there are particular yeah. people whose role is they serve as mercenaries. Yeah, that's what I thought, but i just making sure because I, I don't remember if we've heard that word much before. They all have Mm-mm. wolf demons. Which you see eventually. Yes. And all the cops had dog demons. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was a great moment in that scene where Lyra ends up going to talk to Ma Costa and Ma wants to go talk to, I think it's Yorick. And so she like hands the spoon to Tony. Oh, yes. Take yeah. care of the cooking. And he's like, oh, burn it. Which I just thought was the most amazing like 
three seconds of just like expressing teenage boy angst where it's like, uh-uh, I don't want to do that. And she's like, no, you're going to do it. I'll totally burn dinner if you make me do anything. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, you know, I understand why youths are against things like this now, but what did he have to do that was more interesting? He was just sitting, staring at the fire. That was almost he like, like a no gratuitous iPad. moment of like the writer or the producer has a teenage son. Yeah. It was like, put that in. But yeah, so it's, it's interesting that people seem to believe the alethiometer wholeheartedly when it agrees with them, but question it when they don't, right? So also, they will march in whatever direction it says if it's the, re- the direction they want to go, like with Lord Fa. But then he is either not trusting it or her initially about whether she should go on this little side journey. Oh, that's interesting. I read it differently because to me, it's just that she doesn't have that much information. You know, it's not that it's not what he wants. It's just that he doesn't know what it is. Yeah. A right. ghost? You know? Question mark? Right. right. Like if yeah. she had a better, like if she could be like, oh yeah, Billy Costa's there. Right. I gotta right. go find him. Mm-hmm. Then of course, you know, he wouldn't have been like, I don't know. That's not the right direction. You well, know, I, I think it was more just, she was like, I have this vague thing and it's just like a very strong hunch that I need to go here. And he's like, seriously though? I'm very glad that the completely unnecessary argument that was going to end in Lyra's favor this time was briefer. Motorcycle <laughs> is the worst. No, stop. <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> it was definitely an improvement in the show that the completely ridiculous made-up conflict that just provided a moment of drama didn't take as much time as the last three. <laughs> well, there you go. That is a positive. We're yes, just going to let I'm it being be positive. what it is. Her relationship with the alethiometer is evolving a little interestingly mm-hmm, to me, though, too, mm-hmm. as someone who's just watched and not read. Because it seems like to me that it's starting to be the relationship that's similar to the Doctor and the TARDIS and Doctor Who, where she doesn't quite understand the magic of it, but she can ask it to do things and it usually complies. But in, in this instance, right, it was like, you asked me this question. I also need to tell you this. It has a mind yeah. of its own. It has a bit of a yeah. mind of its own, which is an interesting evolution. Besides, it, instead of it just being a search engine. For right? sure. And I need to tell you this, but it's not going to totally make sense to you until you actually go check it out. And then you'll right. understand yeah. what I'm trying yeah. to Yeah, which the TARDIS you. will do. The TARDIS will just override and, and drop the doctor somewhere need he here. needs to be. Yeah. Uh, can the alethiometer see into the future? I don't remember oh, doing that in the book. Wow. It's, it's, it says, this is what's happening now. Like a basic question: yeah. Who's guarding Bolvanger? I don't. Tartars. Well, Tartars with rifles. Well, Can, she they maybe f- though. They flashed in that scene where it was like we kind of saw what she was seeing. We saw her going in the door, like we saw that shot, but it was supposed to be from her point of view. So it's like she was getting a vision of what she was about to go do right. and sort of snippet. So that yes. was the future. I that remember was her future. Uh, yeah. that was the first time we've seen a vision yeah. in the way that Greta, you criticize them for doing in the movie version. Yeah, well that was much more tactfully done than in the movie version. Yeah, but I still mean, this whole notion is... that looking into it gives her visions of something to come or th- she yes. can see things yeah. is a very different way of interpreting That's true. her use of it than... And to... is it just her getting more powerful or better at it too that would oh, allow yeah. for that? I think so. Yeah. Let's uh, dive into that scene a little more with Will and his mom, the first scene where they're, where he cooks her dinner. Let's take a listen and then we'll chat about it. When you're kind, like he is, you've got his temper. He always, he always wanted to protect the vulnerable and he went out into the world and found a way to do it. And you're going to follow him. Take up his mantle. His mantle? What does that mean? He wasn't done. He had more battles to fight. What battles? You don't see. This world is broken. It takes extraordinary people to fix it. Extraordinary people like your dad, like you. I'm not extraordinary. 
There's that word again. Extraordinary. 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 Uh, how long ago, I thought it would be funny if she said, he's, he started exploring the Arctic after he left the priesthood after having sex with Phoebe Waller-Bridge. But <laughs> how long ago did Will's father disappear? Is that clear? It was a At one while point ago. She mentioned it's a marathon. Not thirteen a years. She says he's been dead thirteen years. Right. To the guy who so basically stops her on the street. Will Perry has never known his father. Yes. Right. Because he's yes. that you know he's barely born when yeah. that happened all those years ago. Yeah. I accidentally skipped a couple scenes. I forgot that that was actually after, after the Lord Boreal scene. Where Lord Bo- the Lord Boreal scene and uh, Serafina. Yes. Chats with who in Justin's notes he calls him uh, Tormund Giants Bane, which I loved very much. <laughs> not quite, but it's he not look Tormund a lot Giants like Bane. It's no, Mormont. it's Mormont. Lord Commander Mormont. <laughs> Come isn't on, his Justin. Name, <laughs> Cos- his last name is Cosmo, isn't it? Isn't it? Yes, James. Yeah. James Cosmo. James or John. Uh, yeah. Lin Manuel Miranda said on Twitter that that was James Cosmo. If assuming his first name is James, that was his first ever on-screen kiss. Which is wow. weird, considering that he's a British character actor of a certain age. You'd think that in his many, many point, roles, he would have kissed, kissed somebody. somebody. Nope. 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 Interesting. Well, that's a nice first go of it for him then, because he gets to hang out with a real pretty witch lady. I know. Who so played Serafina? Was that Eva Green? Oh, like I don't her. know. I don't know either. But she was good. And also, she just flew. I didn't no like, but no it brooms. wasn't even flying. It then was like a strange, like pine. diagonal drifting. Well, remember we were talking about how surprised <laughs> we were to find that the cloud pine in the prior yeah, scene with the witch council with just little sprigs. Little rosemaries. Uh, it made me think that at one point in sort of the production design, they, again, I assume they tried a lot of things and threw them out because they looked silly. So again, totally. I don't totally know if what they settled on looks any less silly. I, I think they probably speculated, like, probably tried them riding around on branches of cloud pine like your traditional witch. Felt too much like Hocus Pocus. Felt too yeah. much like Hocus Pocus well, or Harry Potter playing Quidditch. Yeah, that and is And they were like, no, let's not do that. Let's just have them fly, which I thought was pretty cool, What if actually. they flew with it, like, slung over the backs of their shoulders? No? That's an interesting look. What uh, if they held it up like Mary Poppins in a row? Oh, that would be cool. That yeah. would also like, be good. I did Eva write, Green, Eva Green by Eva the Green? way, was uh, the character in the Golden Compass movie. Ah, this that's why I'm This name is Ruta Gedmundes, oh. which I'm probably not pronouncing correctly. That's probably Danish for Eva Green. <laughs> well, I did write in my notes in that scene, I'm not sure how I feel about this flying style. The swooping? There was a lot of swooping? Yeah, I don't know. Like the, the like anti-gravity drift. <laughs> I liked her, her tattoos. Like, yeah, her mm-hmm. tattoos were, were awesome. Cool. And I liked her little Northern Lights uh, particle physics lecture. Oh, yes. I particles. Whenever cool. whenever these characters mention particles, it's a little jarring because that's a word that we associate with, as you say, high energy physics. Yeah. Not high fantasy. Yeah. Particles. And then from there, we go to Lyra trying to ride Yorick. And him saying he's not a horse, which I thought was delightful. I am not a horse. I am not a horse. Still love Yurik. That's something I can do without any sort of ironic dodging. He's great. He's great. I I, I love the voice actor who's doing his voice. I love the animation. Yeah, the CGI I, of his facial expressions, there are really subtle moments yeah. that yeah. are really nice. And, and you're working with a bear who doesn't normally have facial expressions. I love. You mentioned that. That's great. I love how dirty his fur is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that he just looks like he's just... Spent a little bit too much time sleeping rough. And the I scars really on like his that. Nose. And the scars in his nose yeah. are great, which I think will be useful when we meet more bears because the yes. bears will look alike. The fancy we're not bears. bear that we met? The fancy, fancy bear. bear. When we meet the fancy bear, I think it'll be important to keep track of who Yorick is yeah. with the scars in his nose. Yeah, that's a good point. I just loved their interaction too when she like 
st- tries to snuggle up against him and he's like, ma, and then she's like, meh, and then they're both totally okay with it. Yeah. I just thought that was real cute. Th- there's that speech that the bear has, Yofer has, where he yes. says, you cannot trick a bear. Yes. And that actually is a bit more of a scene in the book when uh, Lyra actually tries. He says, here, try. And he gives her a stick and says, here, poke me with a stick. And she keeps trying to faint, but he always knows what she's going to do. And it turns out that that idea that there's something about the nature of bears that cannot be tricked, implying that there's something about the nature of humans that can be tricked, is both really important to the book and also one of the places where Philip Pullman started from. He read an essay by a 19th century philosopher about a bear that Hmm. could not be tricked, and it started to make him think about the fallible nature of humans. And so that's like an intensely important moment. I don't know if it will resonate as much in this TV show as it does in the books and in Philip Pullman's mind. Well, and also we know Mrs. Coulter is trying to trick the other bear because yes. she's promising him things like a baptism that I don't think she exactly has the right. power to give. So that probably doesn't end well then. Bears, the, the idea of tricking bears and when you can trick a bear and what happens to a bear when it is tricked is essential to yeah. a lot of that story and a lot of what Philip Pullman was up was mm-hmm. was writing about. So from that scene, we get to Lyra going to this creepy town. Yes. And walking in. Trisha, what was your take on that scene, not having read the books? Um, I mean, I kind of had guessed what was coming at that point, sure. that it would be a um, severed child, if not Billy. Um, but I guess I also assumed it wasn't Roger. And the only other sort of named child who's in that group that we know is Billy. Mm-hmm. So it, I had read online last night. I tried to avoid book spoilers still, but people were like, it's not Billy in the book. So I do know that it wasn't Billy yes. in the book. Yeah. Um, but it was also the only named character that we might have enough of a, an emotional reaction to seeing, I guess. Otherwise, it's just sort of a, a anonymous zombie kid. Yes. Well, and I'm pretty sure it is actually... It is Billy in the movie anyway. Mm. B- b- I'm pretty sure they stick with Billy you in know. that scene. I-, I will say to other book readers that I missed the dried fish. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a very sad. The internet was upset. Yes. Yeah, the well, dried fish was, should we explain what the dried yeah, fish is? Yeah, that's one of the most terrifying scenes in that book. Yes. And let's try to talk about this in a way that's wholly positive. <laughs> You may remember. Listen, I didn't make the announcement, Peter. Okay, I know. I'm just I'm trying to hold my thing. So you may remember my saying last week, I was complaining, as I often do or did, did, not going to do it anymore, oh. that they don't have enough demons in the shots, that it's right. not yes. established that every human being has a demon all the time. Yes. Because sure. I said, there's, there's going to be a moment where we meet a human without a demon and it's a big deal. Yeah. We might have edited that out last week because I was worried about spoilers. Oh, I, I see. Remember. Well, as well, you probably would. Well, anyway, I whinged about that last week because I had just read <laughs> the scene. We had to delete some of the whinging. Yeah. And this scene in the book is one of the most emotionally devastating scenes yeah. because yeah. Philip Pullman is really great at describing the visceral, not just unhappiness, but disgust that people feel when they to see a human being without a demon. Well, and I think also... So what ends up happening, she walks in and this boy, I forget his name in the book, is holding a dead fish. He's clutching to it. Tony Tony. in the book. He's clutching it and he's calling it Ratter as if it is his demon, even though it's obviously a dead fish. Because he's so desperate to have his demon with him. Right. And I think there's that too, right? Like there's the horror that other people see when they see a person without a demon. But there's also this desperation of this child to have this lifelong companion that he's supposed to have who's right. been taken from him right. to the point where he'll grab onto literally any dead animal 
and try to attribute. Right. It's, it's you know, pathetic like, oh, in the in the most horrible. powerful way. And I mean, well, as I remember, what Pullman writes is like to see someone without a demon is like to see a person without a head, yeah. or to see them with their with their rib cage opened. It's just incredible, like viscerally disgusting in in a way that that goes beyond an intellectual problem. And Trish, do you think that they established that when she met finally the ghost boy? I mean, I think they they tried in a couple ways to do it. So like Pan being really upset Mm -hmm. and whimpering Mm -hmm. and not wanting to go in there. I assumed that whatever was coming was very scary in some way or dangerous. And then when that when it was just a lonely zombie Billy Costa. Right. um, So like that helped a bit. And then, honestly, if if I had, didn't have even just the sort of context that we've talked about in here, or that I've stumbled upon, you know, on Twitter or whatever, to to know how sort of serious this is, I'm not sure I would. I wasn't feeling the difference. I knew I was supposed to know it was bad. Right. I didn't feel scared by it. Right. And again, because I I rewatched because some people in my family over the Thanksgiving weekend wanted to watch the show, so I rewatched actually the first four episodes over the last week and then watch this one. Oh, cool. And I kept noticing how many scenes there are where, you're right, Peter, nobody except a a main character has a demon. You know, in that bar scene, it's only Lee Scoresby. Mm -hmm. You don't see, I think you see one bird in that bar. Um, And in other scenes, you you just don't see them. And of course, we know from Boreal and others, or, you know, it could be a snake and in your pocket, it could be a mouse in your pocket, whatever. But not everybody's got pocket demons, though. Yeah, some people have (laughs) pocket demons. demons. Yeah. But I do think that that has made it (laughs) Polly Pocket Demon. Yeah, Um, that it 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 was a little again of a tell don't show situation for the show. Yeah, for us to be this spooked by this. But also, it had turned him into a zombie. So I understood the effect of losing the demon. was that he was basically lobotomized. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that was partly what was because he didn't talk at all in right yeah which in the book he, he keeps he, asking about ratter which ratter, i think like ratter. drives at home that yeah, much and, more and the intensely. whole purpose of the scene in the book i mean in addition to being a very terrifying and moving scene is it sets up the very deep peril that lyra is about to end up in which she does in this episode mm-hmm. the episode ends with him saying something to the effect of let's prep her for the procedure yeah, right away go, yeah and that's Priority in the book, and you've just found out how awful it is to be separated from a demon. Yeah. And now they're going to do it to Lyra, and it's bad. So we got a lot of calls about the absence of demons, and I think we should listen to them in a minute. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Okay, so we got a great many voicemails from a great many amazing people. And uh, Justin actually threw this together this morning. Hello, Nerdette and Peter. Hi, Nerdette. Also, hi, Peter Sagal. Hi, this is Dana from Denver. I'm Adam from Crown Point, Indiana. This is Maggie from Evanston, Illinois. Will in Seattle. I'm out for a run. I had to stop my run for this because it was bothering me so much. <laughs> I believe my demon would be a husky. A spicy, scruffy little terrier. Would be my actual real-life dog right now. Last week I called and I said that if I had a demon, it would probably be a Canada goose. 
Um, but then you guys went on a rant about how you hate geese, so I don't know what to say now. A couple things. First of all, almost no one had their demons with them in this episode. The lack of demons shown is really starting to bug me. Just dogs on leashes that I noticed, and it was never clear whether these were just dogs or if they were demons. It's really getting at me. It's like... When someone is chewing gum near you, and suddenly that's the only noise you can hear, is the sound of the gum chewing. That being said... Anyway... I love y'all. I love the recap. All right, that's it. Bye. That was a great montage. Wasn't it, Justin? That was was really well done, Justin, and I'm so glad I can say something unironically positive. (laughs) And sorry about the hating on the geese, but as I have said, and I will stand by... (laughs) Oh, you're doubling down on that one, I don't trust birds, and geese are mean. (laughs) You don't trust birds at all? No. Any bird? How do you no, trust Trisha a bird? They're birds. dinosaurs who have snuck into the present. But wait a minute. On the other hand, they're dinosaurs that have snuck into the present. Isn't I that cool? When you say it that way, it. that sounds exciting. But I don't trust birds, <laughs> and you're not going to convince me otherwise. All right. Okay, they're so trouble. Peter, right before the break. Pigeons under the train are always up to something. Well, yeah. yeah. I know. I mean, That's city great. birds are sketchy as Crows. I would curse here normally, but I'm not going to because of the children. Thank you. My mother will be pleased. I, I have a small welcome, rant. Uh, I, I, I have an interesting factoid Wait, have, about pigeons. Did you just change from I have a small rant? Well, to, uh, then I, I realized it wasn't really a rant factoid? because it wasn't complete. It's just an interesting fact about pigeons. Okay. This feels like a deviation, but we'll, we'll go on it. All the pigeons that you see, the so-called rats with wings... Every single pigeon that you see in the city flying around being a quote-unquote rat with wings is the descendant of a beloved pet because pigeons were kept in the 19th century in much the same way that dogs and cats are now. They were an extremely popular pet. And they were used as mail carriers. They were used for a lot. And at one point, sometime around the end of the 19th century, humanity said, why are we keeping these birds? These terrible, terrible birds. These terrible, terrible birds. They all agreed with Trish. They said, they're dinosaurs that have snuck into the present. What are we doing? And they let them all go. And so every single pigeon you see descends from one of those beloved pets. Anyway, sorry, that's my pigeon factoid. I think Justin just wrote down the time code on that so we could just delete it all right out. No, leave it. I think people need to know that both birds cannot be trusted and that they are. I didn't know he was keeping notes on what he was going to cut out. Now I'm feeling paranoid. Oh, yeah, that's what he That's That's what he does. Now Peter is looking at that. He's a producer, Peter. I understand. Now Peter is glancing at that legal pad with the nervousness of someone in therapy. (laughs) What are they writing down about me now? That's exactly right, Tricia. That is exactly the sense memory I just had. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, my God. That was good. I'm going to try and get us back on track. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, Peter, before the break, you started talking about how like how the stakes have been established for this experiment. Right. I wonder if that is only the case for book readers still. And I want to play a voicemail and then we'll talk about it. I'm curious what you have to say about it, too, Tricia. Hi, Nerdette and Peter Sagal. This is April and I am calling from Wichita, Kansas. Um, I think my demon would be a coyote. Basically, for me, uh, I'm all up in the feels. As a mom, especially after this episode, the death of Bobby Costa. Holy crap. I don't know why I didn't expect that. There was that moment when Ma Costa basically told him he could go. Oh, I was just embarrassing, ugly crying in that moment. And uh, anyway, I wondered if anybody else experienced it as intensely as I did, or if it's just because I'm a mom and that's how we do. Here's my question, though. What's what's the point? I, I don't get it. 
Why, why are they doing this? Why are they separating or excising the demons? I get the magisterium wanting to control crossing into other worlds and wanting to control information, but I don't understand the experiment at all. So anyway, that's my question. And um, I can't wait to hear this next episode next week. Bye. Uh, I think the best answer to that is you're going to find out. I think, I mean, and I only can say this because I read the book and reminded myself, but Mm -hmm. that is a question, of course, that a lot of the characters have. Why are they doing this terrible thing to children? Yeah. And there is an answer. Whether it is a good answer or not, I think, is another question. Yeah. I mean, as a viewer only, I agree with a lot of what April's saying. This whole idea that dust is something, still don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. This is for something that maybe has to do with dust or maybe doesn't because we don't really know so far, if there's a link between the oblation board and like what Azrael's doing, it seems like they're separate tracks of of experimentation or discovery that they're going toward. And yeah, it just seems incredibly cruel, but the the organized fashion in which it's being done makes it seem like it must be f- to find some truth or create some new species or something, but it doesn't it doesn't seem random, right? It doesn't just seem like abuse or brutality for the sake of brutality. Mm, it's too organized. That's an interesting yeah. point. Yeah. And, and, and this is something that, that they're very invested in doing for reasons of their own that makes sense to them. Yeah. So let's hear Lee and Lyra have a conversation that's sort of similar about that. Once Lyra gets back with Billy, let's listen to it. Can you even hear me? This must be what they do. This is what they take. It's horrible. It's worse than anything. Why would they take someone's demon? It's about control, isn't it? Because if you can remove someone's soul, you can do anything. Roar. Yorick's pissed. Yorick's mad. Yeah. I thought Lin was really good in these scenes. He has been, I will admit, like quite campy as Lee in the previous episode and even in the start of this one with the Bunyan comments and all that. But even just some of the like close-ups on him when they're all finding Billy and stuff like that, he did a nice job, I think, of establishing, you know, he and Lyra are forming this real bond because they're sort of the two non-Gyptians in this group mm-hmm. and the two sort of adventurers in this group or whatever. Um and I, I liked those scenes later in this episode with him and her. I thought there was a lot of character development there. Yeah, I did too. Though There was that one moment when he told her that he was proud of her that I thought was a little too soon. Did you think he was going to break into Dear Theodosia? Oh, God, I hadn't even thought of that. It, it was like <laughs> a little bit of a, a Dear Theodosia moment. Yeah. <laughs> So no, it was uh, just that, like, no. they, oh, Peter. Peter, yes. Yeah, Lin-Manuel, have you ever heard his songs from Moana? They're great. <laughs> I mean, they're brilliantly conceived for the character, for the audience. He works brilliantly with the other uh, Polynesian musicians. You're saying they're he's just, a great lyricist? I'm just saying he has such talent when it comes <laughs> to songwriting, his brilliance, his understanding of, of the form and purpose of the musical. I mean... Peter Sagal is the worst. <laughs> We're this. That's what, like four or five now. We've yeah, played? I know. I don't know if they're deserved, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure they're deserved either. But they, they. It's it's to indicate something. It's yes. like it's like using narration from a bird to make sure that our audience, who isn't sure if you're being sarcastic, yes, is just aware. make it clear to the audience because we're afraid that at this point the audience might not be. If someone tuned in late to a podcast, even though that's impossible, yes, they might not know. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) but you are being accidentally scrubbed halfway through. Anyway, well, hey, one thing that I think you will feel very positively about is that we got a voicemail again from Courtney and her son Marcel. I love Courtney and Marcel; they're my favorites. 
Don't tell the other callers. <laughs> Too late. Hi, Greta and Trisha and... What? And Peter. And Peter. Yes, this is Courtney and Marcel. And we just watched episode five of... Historic Materials. And it was a little bit scarier than the previous episodes. What do you think, Marcel? It was weird when they were in our world because... I mean, they're just spying on them, and it's a little scary for some reason. It was a little creepy. Yeah. So, yeah. Major creep factor. And we'd like to know where Roger is, too, right? We haven't seen Roger this whole time. Yeah. So, we're we're doing a voice memo or a voice message. That's Pascal. So That's our dad. (laughs) No, that's your dad. That's my dad. Any other thoughts? Uh, no. All right. It is definitely time to go to bed. (laughs) We will see you next week, Nerdette. Bye, Nerdette. That's our dad. That's our dad. (laughs) I like the French names in this family, Pascal, Marcel. Uh Um, She actually brought up uh, a scene that we had not discussed. First of all, it's great to hear from you. I love you, Marcel. You're great. Um, (laughs) The scene where Lord Boreal approaches... Um, yeah. Will's mom. Yes. Which is a scene I really liked because it didn't work it's in terms so of creepy. Lord Burial's scam. Oh, I'm an old friend of your father's. Please let me introduce myself into your family so I can. And she's like, no goddamn way. Uh, John isn't home, is he? John died. Died? Oh, that's terrible news. When? 13 years ago. I should have been told. Uh, I mean,. Uh, I'm sorry. It was a long time ago. I have to go. How? Their expedition was lost in Alaska. They never found the bodies in the storm, but he he didn't come home. Since I have been in my prior persona complaining so much about people in this TV show (laughs) not acting like human beings, but rather like characters in a TV show, I will say that it it was great to see uh, the mother, I don't know her name, Mrs. Parry, Reacting like a real human being because yeah. Boreal was so obviously trying to run oh, a scam on her. So sketchy. And if if she had bought it and said, "Oh, you were a friend of my father's, a friend of my husband's, rather, come on in," I would have been like, "Nope." But because she was so clearly and appropriately weirded out by him, I was like, "Yay, yeah. good scene." Well, I mean, even the fact that he wouldn't like go knock on her door. You know, like just the way he sort of like intercepted her right after she walked out of the house was like, "Oh yeah, no, this dude is creepy." Yeah, yeah, and that was good. The fact that she can see his creepiness and almost sense it viscerally was yeah. really cool. Well, I mean, I think partly what's interesting about her character is that, like, you, the way they build it up, and especially, you know, with her showing up at school and stuff, is that, and from Will's point of view, even, like, her paranoia is unfounded, right? right. Like, he his has whole no life, reason has to believe that under she, the bed. yeah, like, yeah. why would someone be waiting in a car outside their house? That's totally insane. Yeah. But, from her point of view and knowing that there are literally people going through her bank accounts and stuff. And the worst, most terrifying thing for somebody who has paranoid delusions is that when somebody's actually after you, no one will believe you. Yes. Yeah. Because she's cried wolf, as you might say, for so long. Do you think that she is, as everybody treats her, actually mentally ill? She certainly behaves sometimes like that. Or is it just that she knows stuff? For example, there are multiple universes and her husband is now apparently, maybe, I think, caught in another universe and is trying to get back. 
and that there are forces trying to prevent. I mean, maybe she knows all this stuff, and that presents to the our world as nuts. Yeah, I don't know. That was partly why I was wondering if you had gotten to the subtle knife yet, because that's the only one that I haven't read in a while. Yeah. My recollection is that she could be like she. I don't know that she's necessarily nuts, but she can't take care of herself, and she is very, very fragile. Yeah. And whether the origin of that is actually a superior knowledge of other worlds or just intense Which again, if trauma you did and delusion. Tell somebody that your husband isn't dead, he's in another universe, they'd go, Okay. Right, right. You know, like yeah. even the truths that she knows will make, make her, her sound unhinged. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I don't know. We'll I don't know. It's an interesting question. That. It is an interesting question. Based on a really good performance. I'll just return to that. She was great. She was great. <laughs> and that was a very good hiding spot for those letters. Yes. Yeah. Behind, under a sewing machine? Like inside the sewing machine. Oh, yeah. yeah that was okay. pretty cool. Or like under or inside. I wonder if yeah. the sewing machine had any resonance and any specific meaning. They did really kind of focus yes, on it for twice. a while. And, and the name on it was, I assume, just a brand name or yeah, something. Yeah, but it was but, like, mm-hmm. why a sewing machine? That's a very yeah. strange choice of a hiding place. Well, and then there was that weird moment when Will goes into her bedroom and is standing in front of the sewing machine. And she walks in and she's like, you can read the letters if you want. And he's like, oh, no, I was just looking for you in this sewing machine. machine. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, well, yeah, you're just going to play it cool, Will. But that is a very interesting little mystery that we have that's mm-hmm. new, right? Is what are those letters? Where is this dude? Is there really a window? All that good stuff. Mm-hmm. We got a voicemail from our original first listener, Jonah. Should we Ooh. listen to it? Jonah. 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 Hey, Nerdette. This is Jonah from Chicago. This episode had two of my favorite scenes from the entire series, both really tense scenes with Lyra. Uh, the first, when she's walking towards that shed where you know there's something very, very wrong, and uh, she's going on despite all of her, her obvious anxiety. The other when she's in Bolvinger, Bolgenver, Bolgenger, whatever it is, the, the creepy place where they hack frickin' demons off. Daphne Keene was so good in both those scenes. As for my demon, I'd like to think it's something fierce like a wolverine, but reality is probably closer to something like a slow loris, but I'm okay with that. Like a what? A slow loris. <laughs> what is that? A slow loris is a kind of primate, I think. That looks a little like a sloth. It just hangs out in trees and doesn't mm. do much. Thus, the name Slow Loris. Thus, Jonah. Yes. <laughs> I think I'm right. I think the Loris is a... a well, we're going to find out. Trish is Googling it. Oh, good. It would be good oh, to correct it now. Oh, they're real cute. Are they? <laughs> they're like little funny-looking yeah. creatures. Oh, Are they primates? They look primate-like. I don't know. Oh, they're know. for sure primate They're adorable. Oh, anyway. Nocturnal primates. Yes. So that sets up that final scene really well. Yes. Which was... I thought the episode was over, and then... With the grabbing of her? Or, yeah, that they would just sort of cut to black Yeah, that there. seemed like the yeah. moment the episode would end, for sure. But no. But no. I believe it was Jonah, actually, who had been watching with uh, closed caption and mentioned on Twitter this morning, or last night, that the language they're all speaking, all the nurses, yes. is Finnish. Oh. Just for the record. Yeah, I watch with closed captions, too, because it helps with a show like this where sometimes they're using a word differently mm-hmm. or just the Britishisms of certain things. I, yeah. But yeah, so speaking Finnish, speaking Finnish. It was creepy. Yes. It was, it was adequately it was, scary language. Yeah, the design of Bolvanger, the, the costumes, everything was pretty cool and pretty creepy. Um, we got a glimpse of something. I hope we get more of it that... Having, again, recently reread the book, I was reminded how much I loved, which is Lyra's extraordinary resilience, resourcefulness, and courage as she is thrown into a situation which would make me, a grown-ass man, <laughs> curl up in the corner and weep. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I loved Lyra so much in the books because she just, I mean, she's thrown into this nightmare situation. She's, we got the glimpse of it when they ask her what her name is and she immediately knows not to tell them. Yeah. And there's, a, again, as that sequence is that's, continues in the book, there's a lot more of that, of her extraordinary resourcefulness. Yes. Well, she's also just a very good liar. She is. Which we haven't really seen right. so far yet. Yeah. But There's even that little moment where she says, what's your name? And she says her name. And then later on, they say, what was your name again? Yeah, and she, she remembered say? to say yeah. the right, yeah. the same name. Yeah. She's like, she's good. Well, and that she knows not to explain that she was, you know, who she was yeah, really She comes with. up with she that like backstory. Oh, I was, whole, like, I was trading furs just with my with father. My family. Yeah, yeah, it's just me. There's no need to, like, check in on anybody about me or yeah. anything like yeah. that. Lyra really, as a character, there are other moments in the book. But this is the sequence in the book where she really establishes herself, as I said before, as one of the great female heroines in kids' literature. Yeah. Can I ask an annoying book reader question that hopefully TV viewers won't be too frustrated with? Uh, who's going to stop you? We're not too far from the end of book one no, we're at not. this point. We're not. There's three episodes of and TV And we still left. have three episodes of TV left, which makes me wonder if they're going to go. I, I mean, the fact that they're already kind of weaving part of book two in anyway, I'm just very curious to see how these final three episodes arc, given the fact I, that. I think I know only, again, because I just reread the book, and I, I'm thinking of, of what's ahead of us. And I know that there are three. Spoilers. No, no spoilers, but there are, in fact, roughly speaking, three really important plot sequences left. Yeah. And so I can see them easily oh, yeah. being three split episodes. into three episodes. Okay. I in fact, I, I would almost guess that they sort of backplanned the first five episodes so that the last three would be those three very important. Three big beats left. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and I'd make a prediction as to what they are, but that would count as spoilers, so yep. I don't want to do it. Let's not do it. But I'll tell you later if I was right. If I, <laughs> I, write I'm it sure in an envelope. Yeah, I'll write seal an envelope, it. seal it. Yeah. And then you'll hold yeah. it up Give to it your to head. Give it to Justin. Yeah. We'll give you a Cormac the Magnificent. What is it? Oh, yes, Karnak the Magnificent. Car- I said Cormac. Oh, Karnak. Yeah, Cormac the Magnificent wrote some really interesting westerns. But 85 that's, in yeah. West Virginia. Yeah. Anyway. I have no idea what you guys are I'm doing. making Johnny Carson references because sometimes Cor- my references uh, are for Peter. That's because true. Because we are both 50 years old. I feel old. like they're <laughs> often for Peter. <laughs> like probably a majority of the time, don't you think? Wait a minute. Are you actually 50 years old? No, I'm 32 <laughs> years old. I, I, because I was, you had, you, you had me going. <laughs> For at least 15 seconds. And I was about to express astonishment. But at the same time, I was thinking, oh, if she were, because she's obviously not 50, you don't look 50, you look like you're 32 years old. But if you were, in fact, all this time, amazingly well presented. Yes. So much else would make sense. Like how you know all the stuff you know. Mm -hmm. My demon is 50. (laughs) Let me explain. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Are those all the things? Did we do it? I don't know. Did it's we do it? It's just harder than ever before to not read this book. Because now so I really good. like I mean, want yeah, it. I'm going to as soon as we're done. Yeah, a lot of people, we've actually gotten several voicemails and tweets about people being like, are these, like, should I be reading these? What should I so do? I, and the answer is like, without cursing, yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Duh. My yeah. confession sure. is, is, and I think this isn't breaking our rules, I did start reading The Golden Compass because I feel like I can read up to where I know we are. Oh, yeah, for sure. So like I, I've yes. read now The Golden Compass up to about where we are in the show so that I can just quickly yes. get to the end. But yeah. it's very hard to not keep reading. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Boy, the books are great. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Good job. I do there think, you are. I do think having now read the first half of ish of Golden Compass, there are things that just in this kind of high fantasy where there's so much elaborate world building, it's easier to do on the page because well, you're so much more forgiving of a whole page of exposition in a book I, than also, you are on a TV show. Also, 
the book is always better. The book is <laughs> all, like a thousand percent. The book is always better. True. It is true. It depends. It's there have been really better. great movies made of not so great books. Like, for example, Field of Dreams is a great movie made from an okay book. Mm. Correct. And there are others I could probably think of. Uh, the yeah. Godfather is yeah. a masterpiece of Godfather cinema made from before. a pretty good book. This feels like a good thing to take to the Twitters. Yeah. I would like people to tweet at us with the movies that they think or TV shows that are better than their book source material and vice versa. I think that this is mm. fun. And then we can come up it with our fun. list. Um, but I also would love it if you just agreed with me that the books are always <laughs> better. <laughs> it also occurs to me that the demon problem right. is much easier in the book because she he doesn't have to mention the narrator every time he introduces a scene who the demon is. Like somebody can just say something and we just assume there's a demon next to the right. person. Yes, but he does mention them a lot. He does every mention them a lot. Every time he describes he says, a person, right. the way you would describe, you know, what she was wearing or what she looked yeah, like. But the scene in the bar, for example, right. doesn't so if, have that problem. If, if, like, yeah, for exactly. Sure. So yeah. the scene in the bar, I think, is invented for the TV show. If you're writing the scene in the bar, you can mention what the demons are of all the rough prospector types are. If you're designing that as a sequence of TV, somebody has to figure out what each demon is, what it looks like, CGI the damn thing, and place it and animate it throughout the right. scene, and which is a pain interact. in the ass. Yeah. And even if you were to go to the expense and trouble of doing that, it may end up with a scene so ridiculous looking, i.e. they're having a fight in a zoo, yeah. <laughs> that maybe it's not even worth it. So that may be one of the problems we're having with the whole demon, where are the demons issue? I mean, we were always told with Game of Thrones that the reason and there weren't more direwolf scenes is because it was so expensive to put a direwolf on screen. Well, if every single person has a CGI animal, then what's yeah. the cost exactly. of that? And, and, and I have no idea. I have a, I have a whole other question about like how, because there's so much CGI in TV, in movies these days, so much of it we don't even notice because they CGI in realistic scenes that we assumed were a set. I don't know how easy it is, how expensive it is. If anybody out there knows how tough CGI is, how expensive it is, how long it takes to do We would saving. like to know the cost yes. per demon. Yes, exactly. How much does the <laughs> demon cost? Let us know if you know. All right, so we are at Nerd Out Podcast on Twitter. You can also find Trisha at Trisha Bobita. I am Greta M. Johnson. And Peter is Peter Segel. You can also use the hashtag Nerd at Recaps. We would love to hear from you, especially after next week's episode airs. You can record yourself on your cool little phone and send us an email to nerdatrecaps at gmail.com. Well, the show is produced by us with help from Justin Bull. And our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. And our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Who does a great job. He does do a great job. That's true. See? So positive. <laughs> This is a genuine question to the listeners of this podcast. Do you prefer it if I don't whine as much? <laughs> or there, is it unsettling in its own way? I know. Yeah, are there I people out there who said, really I enjoy certain, Peter right? constantly whining about this TV show? But in that case, I let mean, me they know. should Maybe be I'll used to it because the last step I know. of Game of Thrones. I know. Yeah. Although that, like that was a different kind before. of whining. Was that, it? Yeah. That was, that, was, that was whining that came from deep affection. <laughs> this does too, though. It's from loving the books, right? Different. hi it's terry gross the host of fresh air we bring you in-depth long-form interviews with actors directors musicians authors journalists and more listen to our peabody award-winning fresh air podcast from whyy and npr